0: glass ice pour hello friends and welcome to whiskey and rye i am your host ryan charles brown it is good to be back with you if you are a familiar listener to the show thanks for coming back it's good to have you here if you are just getting to know us welcome We're glad to have you here. Thanks for finding us. How did you find us? I would love to know. Send me a message. Let me know how you made your way here. Uh, But while you're here, getting comfortable with everyone uh, and getting comfortable with our show, this show is uh, about real stories from real people who have seen and been through some real shit. And while I'm not going to be interviewing someone today, we do have some great topics that we're going to be talking about, and hopefully you'll find some inspiration in here that will help you feel motivated to figure out what your version of masculinity looks like and help you figure out what kind of man and or person that you want to be. So let's get started. Let's jump right into it. We had a big week this week in terms of Uh, positivity around the masculinity conversation. Justin Baldani released Man Enough this week. Man Enough, Undefining My Masculinity is the name of his book. And just a little bit of backstory. When I started this podcast... Uh, it's been two years ago now. I really didn't do a whole lot of research and, and see if there were other conversations or other sort of influencers out there, not calling myself an influencer, but wanted to see, didn't really see if there were other people who were influencers talking about masculinity. Uh, if I would have, I would have seen that Justin's been killing this conversation for a long time. And uh, I actually kind of regret not looking uh, uh, looking him up because I feel... He would have been someone to be a good mentor for me. What do I like about Justin? Uh, I like Justin. One, he is uh, a humble person. Um, And these interviews that I've been seeing this week about him releasing this book, um, you know, I've been really seeing him share about how it's uh, vulnerable for him to put out a book like this and how uh, he actually was a little nervous putting this out. And I got to tell you, I just have so much respect for him, even more so, because um, I'll admit, when I was starting this conversation, I actually was coming through with a little bit of overt masculine bravado, like I was coming at this conversation with a bit of hyper-masculinity. And what I appreciate about what Justin has done this week, um, has he's just been so consistent with his brand of undefining this hyper-masculinity. If you don't know Justin, um, I I highly recommend looking him up, and I'll I'll make sure to put a link to his book and his social media in the um, show notes. But you would, uh, at first glance, think that this would be someone who is extremely confident. Not saying that Justin's not confident. However, from a first glance, you would think that this person probably doesn't struggle with much. And I love that Justin has just really laid it out there and has put his struggle to paper and is allowing other people to... Learn, uh, specifically myself. So, you know, uh, one of the things that really took me uh, back when I was watching him do some press this week, Justin was doing an interview with Kelly Clarkson on the Kelly Clarkson show. Love Kelly Clarkson, by the way. Kelly, I love you. I would love to come on your show, obviously, but would love to have you come on my show. Huge fan of you. Uh, but he was on Kelly Clarkson's show and he was talking about, um, how he was wrapping up the book and uh, his wife had read it. And she said, you know, Justin, this is a really great book, but I feel like you need to read your own book. And, I just laughed out loud when I heard him say that. And, you know, Kelly was like, oh, that's some real talk right there. I laughed out loud because if you've been following our What is Love series on Patreon, pretty much every installment I talk about how, gosh, this was really for me. And this was really for me. And I learned so much this week. I really took a lot away from this this week. I think it's just so funny that when we, um, when we, Uh, put these creative projects out there um, so much of the time we're creating from the need that is within us we're creating the thing that we really need the most and so undefining masculinity um, it seems like there was a point in Justin's life where he wanted to like me when I started this podcast strip down this idea that you have to be a certain type of man that you have to be a certain type of person to feel like a man or to be a man or to be accepted as a man. And while I haven't read Justin's book, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see the process that Justin went through of letting go of some of the cultural expectations of what does it mean to be this type of man. Because as I have been walking through what is love, and I hope you've been able to check that out. I'll have links to that in the show notes as well. But as I've been walking through the What is Love series, I've learned um, how I am undoing some of my predispositions, my unhealthy predispositions to love, some of my unhealthy assumptions to love. All of these things um, made their way into my identity and definition of love unbeknowingly, um, sort of subconsciously, if you will. And I think masculinity, that happens the same way, that... Men, were given this sort of idea of masculinity through culture, through our dads, through other dads, through other people that we interact with. And we then take this, this masculinity, whatever it is, however long we feel like we can take. But at some point, we realize that this type of masculinity isn't working for us anymore. And for me, I carried an unhealthy masculinity way too long. I carried it way into my 30s, far into my 30s. And the thing that I think is great about this undefining your masculinity, what Justin is empowering men and, and people who identify as men or people who even just want to understand masculinity, what he's inviting us to do is reframe and to undefine what we think of masculinity. So I think about me going back to starting Whiskey and Rye, where I wanted to define masculinity and help define masculinity in a healthy way. What I love about what Justin is doing in his book is he's saying, actually, by undefining your own masculinity, you can be taking a step towards a healthier version of masculinity. But it does take that undefining first. And that's where I parallel the, his book with what is love, because when you identify these things first, then you can actually start to work through them and you can start to make sense of these things that you're experiencing. But until you actually identify these things that you're going through or that you're experiencing, it's hard to actually name them. So becoming a man is something that 50% of the population, or maybe more, goes through. But becoming fully actualized, becoming self-actualized as a person, is something that we all go through. So while Justin's book is for um, men and masculinity, or people who identify um, in that regard, there is something to self-actualization that I think we can all gravitate towards and something that we can all learn from. And that's something that I've really been uh, learning and looking into as I've been going through what is love. It's this self-actualization of understanding what love means to myself. But self-actualization can't just stay as self-actualization because then we have a tendency to become rather narcissistic. We can become self-centered. One thing that I think is important after we become self-actualized, is, is figuring out how to be that self-actualized new person with the people that we care about. So that, that means we've got to spend time being in relationship with people, getting to know ourselves, our new selves, and then how that new self interacts with a new person. So, um, I, am excited to read Justin's book. I haven't read it. So I'm looking to, um, go through it and, uh, just pick it apart piece by piece and, uh, and digest all of it. I'm excited to go through it. And, As a giveaway, I've never done a giveaway before, so it's gonna be my first chance doing it, first time doing a giveaway, but I'd like to give away two copies of Justin's book. I wish I could give away more, but uh, we're gonna do two copies of Justin's book, and this is probably the easiest giveaway that you'll ever participate. All you have to do is send me a DM on, uh, on Instagram at Whiskey and Rye Club or at Ryan Charles LA and just say, hey, I heard your episode and I'd like a copy of Justin's book the first two people to send me a DM and just say, Hey, I heard your episode and I'd like a copy of Justin's book. I will, ma- I will send you uh, that copy. So first two people get on it, pause the episode right now and send me a DM and then come back and, uh, and we'll get right back into it. But um, I really want to say thanks to Justin for putting this out. Um, and sorry that I didn't like look into you a little bit more. Cause I feel like I probably would have talked about you more on the show and hyped you up a little bit more. Um, but, glad that you are doing what you're doing. And, you know, I think the last thing that I want to say is it's so weird, but ever since I've started to, um, interact a little bit more with Justin's work and follow him on Instagram and things like that, I've actually felt less pressure to put, put content out and to put out episodes and to constantly be putting stuff on Instagram because, I used to feel like, oh my gosh, if no one is going to have, if no one's having this healthy masculinity conversation, I, I, I've got to have it. I got to make it big. I've got to get it out there. But what I'm realizing is there are lots of men having lots of conversations about healthy masculinity. And actually I'm learning from someone like Justin, and instead of defining masculinity as X, Y, and Z, I'm learning to undefine my own unhealthy masculinity. And then in through that process, I'm becoming more self-actualized and learning more about myself. So more on that to come. But I want to talk about another phenomenal book that I am reading right now. I'm about halfway through. It's an incredible book called Hooked. By Near Isle. I hope I'm saying that right. And Hooked is, uh, it's all about how to build habit forming products. So you might be asking yourself, Ryan, why the hell are you reading a book about building habit forming products? Well, uh, not to talk about it too much, but I am starting a business um, and I am developing a product. And so I've talked a little bit about on this show uh, that I was thinking about starting a church a while back. Um, and, you know, I, I talk frequently about ideas that I have and I, I have kind of this entrepreneurial spirit. Well, COVID um, really made me um, become entrepreneurial. It really ignited my desire to start a business. And the reason it did so is because it reprioritized how I thought about, well, I wanted to spend my time. You know, I used to spend so much time thinking about how I could serve other people as a pastor. Um, And and in doing that, I was really neglecting how I could be serving the people that were right here in my um, proximity, the people who were in my close family circle and my close friends circle. I always had my eye out towards Who needed help worse than me, worse than my family, worse than my friends, and how can I help them? But what I realized, and this book actually helped me realize, this book, Hooked, helped me realize this, is that I was using my sort of service and my desire to help others as a way from actually preventing me from working on myself, and actually doing the things in, in providing the needs for me and my family uh, that were more important. I was prioritizing perfect strangers' needs over my own families, over my own needs, actually. And I I thought that was noble. I thought that was a noble thing. I thought that's what pastors and faith leaders were supposed to do. But what I realized is that's actually a form of a savior complex. And really what you're doing if you're taking that role, is you're actually doing a disservice to yourself and the people that you're serving because we cannot be one thing for all people. So I wanted to start a church a while back because I wanted to create a space for Christians to be themselves, to not be Christians, to not be judged, to be... um, able to talk about the things that they struggle with but not just talk about the things that they struggle with talk about the things that they enjoy like like uh, having sex or smoking weed or getting drunk or betting on uh, horse races or all of these things that Christians aren't supposed to do now am I starting a sex and gambling and whiskey and uh, weed dispensary for Christians absolutely not However, I know people who identify as Christians who smoke weed, who enjoy sex, who, uh, who responsibly bet on uh, horses and NC2A games and fun things, fun things like that, and are judged, by, are judged for it. They're judged by other Christians, they're judged by themselves. Heck, they're sometimes even judged within their own families. And I think that's wrong. So, how do we create a space? This is a question that I have. How do we create a space for people who are Christian and non-Christian to just be themselves? Well, that's where Hooked comes in, and that's where we're trying. I'm trying to build a product that will help people feel comfortable in their own skin being Christian and also not withholding all of the things that make them who they are that are maybe outside of their Christian identity. So how does Hooked come into all of this? Well, we, we all have rhythms that we get into. We all have habits that we just kind of naturally come by. And over the past 20 years, since the introduction of social media, uh, we've been given new habits. We have new habits that we didn't have before. We didn't used to, as a culture, be used to checking a mobile device multiple times a day to get information. 20 years ago, we didn't do that. 30 years ago, we didn't do that. We went to the newspaper. You know, we are not used to flipping on an app and looking at pictures and getting an update on how our friends and our family are doing. We used to have to write letters or make phone calls or get in a car and drive and go see them or take a walk and go and see them or bike or whatever it is. You actually had to physically be with people. So... Our habits uh, have changed and have shifted very rapidly over the past few years. And before our habits were changing, we were seeing a shift into individualization. And this started. Uh, Probably uh, 200 years ago with the shift into the Industrial Revolution when we were seeing how people could go from living less in communities to living more by themselves, living more isolated. So you saw people moving away from farms, moving into cities, taking jobs in factories, being more isolated, living by themselves, taking care of themselves. We see the rise of the individual. Larize the individual has actually taken a massive, massive toll on our psyche because humans were not meant to live alone. We are by nature communal people. If you believe in evolution, we have evolved from people who have been been very close in it to now being by ourselves. And what we don't quite understand, what we haven't evolved to understand yet is that living by yourself doesn't mean that you are going to be safe and protected because living by yourself does not mean that you are going to always get the needs and get all of the things that you want quote unquote All right, friends, just a quick break in the action to remind you to check out our What Is Love series exclusively for our patrons. If you head over to patreon.com slash whiskey and rye club, you can check out the first 13 installments. And then if you come back tomorrow at 12, you will hear the final installment number 14. I hope you check it out. Head on over right now, patreon.com slash whiskey and rye club to check it out. And now back to the action. So what do we want? Well, those have also changed over the years, right? Our basic, basic needs have shifted from food, shelter, clothing to iPhones and specific types of food and only this type of clothing and only this type of shelter. We have become so hyper-focused on obtaining wealth and obtaining things that we have lost our desire to be with others because when we're with others we have to share we can't just have our one thing and we have to share our space and the rise of the individual has told us that we don't have to share except our minds and our brains are still like wait a minute we got to be sharing stuff so how there's a dissonance right so to me, this is why we're seeing a rise in loneliness, depression, suicide, isolation, when in fact we are more connected now than we ever have been at any point in history. Why is that? Well, it's because we have been hooked. We have been, we've been moved into accepting new social norms that have isolated us even further from where we are. And now we have created habits to where we have found ways to, um, quote unquote, meet our needs through a digital device, through something that is not living, something that is non-organic. Think about that for a second. So I listed all of our needs, um, food, sheltered clothing. We now think one of our needs comes from a non-organic thing something that we created, something that's tech, something that is technology. Is this a bad thing? Well, maybe it might be a bad thing. Is it a good thing? Well, yeah, it could be because technology does help us. But the, what we are seeing is we are still seeing the negative effects of, of, of the growing, um, use of technology and the way that it is further dividing us from people. So, The reason that I'm reading Hooked and the reason that I'm even giving so much thought about this is I grew up in church. And to me, church was the place that if you didn't have anywhere else to go, the church was supposed to be the place that you could find safety. Well, unfortunately, even in the time when I was growing up and I thought that, that wasn't the case. And and I, I don't really know if the church was ever the place that you could seek safety. I think there are some denominations out there that do a good job, but I think overall organized religion has just failed people because it's too organized. And I say that because it's too organized, meaning it is too administrative. It is too bound by financial, uh, by, by, by financial boundaries. Bringing people together for worship really doesn't need any project management. You really should just be able to say, Hey, Meet here at this time for worship. I mean, let's do a little Bible lesson. So I'm doing a study right now with my family of the Gospels. We just read uh, Mark. We're now reading Luke. So, you know, in Jesus's time, he couldn't be like, hey, I'm going to show up here and give this talk. Everybody meet me here. Jesus would just show up at a place. If you believe in these stories, you don't have to believe in them. That's fine. If you believe in these stories, Jesus would just show up at a place and then like, after a while, like thousands of people would be there. And as he was getting more and more popular, as he was traveling around healing people, the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, I, it, you know, the Bible never really talks about like, how do these people find out? But I imagine, I imagine that there was, you know, a group of people who were so excited to be around Jesus that they were just... They were telling people, hey, I heard Jesus is going to be here at this time. I, you know, I heard Jesus is coming at this time. I heard from a disciple that the disciples are going to be here. And if the disciples are going to be here, that means Jesus isn't going to be far out. So people would just show up and hear Jesus speak. I I wonder, you know, people always wonder, you know, oh, if Jesus had social media, would his crowds be bigger? Would they be smaller? If he lived today, what would they be like? I honestly do not think you could answer that question because I think... People came to see Jesus because they were wanting that um, connection to something better. They were desperate to hear a message that was liberating, and Jesus provided that. So when people go on social media, we go for a reason. There's a reason that we're motivated to go there. And that's what Hooked really, Hooked really gets into is it, it talks about those motivating factors for why we spend our time doing the things that we do. Why do we invest so much time in our lives in something that is inorganic, that hasn't really provided a lot of physical benefits, mostly just emotional benefits, And I say that because uh, my business partner and I have been talking with people about how they use social media and about how they use these apps. And what we're finding is most people have real life relationships and then they have their sort of online and virtual relationships. Most times those relationships don't blend. You have your online friends and you have your um, in-person friends. This reminds me a lot of having church friends and having school friends where you can be one person in one group and you can be another person in another group. So this product that I'm hoping to create, and my business partner and I are hoping to create, is we want to create a space where people can just be themselves, specifically Christians, where you can be yourself free of judgment or free of fear of being judged, but also you can't judge others while you're there because that's the whole point, right? Like you don't want to be judged. Therefore, you can't judge other people. So we, we're not really sure how to create this sort of come as you are social network. But what we are trying to find and what is what Hook is, is, is helping us get to is why do people invest their time in things that may or may not provide a result, we go to social media because we think we're going to we think we're going to get so let's use pinterest for example pinterest is just an endless scroll of whatever you want i use pinterest for my tattoo ideas um, so if you want to see you know geometric tattoos in black and white go to pinterest and you can just scroll for hours or if you want to see traditional tattoos or you want to see um roses or whatever you want to see there are there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages and you can just scroll and scroll and scroll pinterest has tapped into that instant gratification that 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 searching in the the searching in the forest of that that they might find that one thing that oh i've been looking for this one thing and this is the one thing that's going to make me happy but again we never used to have that mindset of we have everything at our fingertips if I could only find that one thing that would make me happy. We used to have just our families and just what was in our proximity to make us happy. So how do we get back to finding kind of like a happy medium where we can encourage this amazing opportunity we have to connect with people from all over the world but also Knowing that connection, connecting all over the world and, and having that sort of virtual connection still makes us feel like we are disconnected. How can we help create that real life connection or create that real life opportunity for connection without having people to feel like they have to do anything? Because that's the second part of creating something is not making people feel like they have to do something hooked is very um, clear that when you create a product or when you create a habit if you're trying to move people into creating a habit that they don't like you're going to have a significant um, barrier in trying in, in getting that 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 behavior to happen all the time so, one of the people that we were talking to in our interviews said that, you know, we might actually have a hard time with our product because we're serving vegetables where everyone else is serving cake and ice cream. And I think that's really funny because we are definitely, in a way, serving vegetables. We're probably putting ranch and cheese on them, but we definitely are serving in terms of what other social... In comparison, I should say, to what other social media is providing, we are serving vegetables uh, when everyone else is serving cake and ice cream. However, let's talk about what happens if you only eat cake and ice cream, right? I mean, let us I'm joking a little bit, but... I'm also being serious, right? Like if you just eat it, if we just eat cake and ice cream, meaning we just participate in the negative aspects of social media, we're going to get lazy. We're going to get lethargic. We're going to get sick. And I think we're already starting to see that. So I think it's time. I think it's time that we mix in some vegetables, right? With our cake and ice cream, but it's, how do we do that? How do we get people to understand, Hey, it's good to put down the sweets and to pick up the, uh, the not sweet treats i was trying to come up with a good rhyme but how do you put down the sweets and pick up something that's going to give you a little bit more substance that's going to give you long-term energy that might actually improve your life to be determined on that hopefully hooked will help us get closer to that but one thing that we are determined to to work at and to determine with um to create with our product is if we're going to encourage a new habit, we want to encourage a good, healthy habit. So we say that we are the app or the product. If we are creating an app, we're not sure, but we're going to be the product uh, or the app to get you off your phone and into real life. How are we going to do that? I'm not sure to be determined, but if this is something that seems interesting to you and you want to talk more about this, send me an email, um, Ryan Brown, one Oh four at gmail.com. Um, I think all my email stuff or you send me a DM, but if you want to hear more about this, let me know. I would love to talk to you about it. If you have some ideas or if this sounds intriguing to you or something you want to be a part of and you want to get on our, um, want to get on our email list and to get information. Um, why don't you just send me a DM Ryan Charles LA, send me a DM on Instagram. That's the easiest way to get signed up. So last thing I want to talk about is to watch this crazy, crazy documentary on uh, the company we work. Documentaries on Hulu. If you have Hulu, I highly recommend it. But We Work. So if you're not familiar with We Work, it's a co-working space, upscale co working space. They are popular in major cities like Los Angeles, New York, San Antonio, Dallas, San Francisco. But they've also moved and they think they're in smaller cities and um They're really relatively popular co-working space. um, Now, obviously, pre-COVID, they were kind of like the co-working space, especially here in L.A. I had some friends who would rent out WeWorking space, and I tell you, it was always a treat for me to go when they would rent out the space because you just felt cool walking into the space. It was very exclusive. You had to be let in. Someone had to let you in. There's members, you know, so there's the, you come coming with their membership card, and you walk in. It's, oh, you want a coffee? You know, we've got kombucha on tap. We've got cider, coffee, you know, fridge, food. You can have food made, all these other things. And, you know, this wide open spot, there's ping pong tables and there's people over there. And it's like, man, this is, this is work. Like people actually work here. How do you actually get work done? Like, this is so cool. So I always loved going to the WeWork spaces. And I'll admit when I would go there, I did not really do a lot of work. I mean, if I was there for, if I was there for four hours, I bet I worked for half of it. I'd work for two hours and the other two times, the other two hours were just, you know, getting coffees, fellowshipping, shooting shit with people. And you know, that was kind of the point of WeWork as it started. And the, the documentary points out how, uh, the founder, Adam Newman, who is way too much like me for me to feel comfortable with. Honestly, um, Adam, very charismatic, has a huge vision, wants to change the world very much like me. Um, I've been told I've been charismatic and I have a huge vision and I want to change the world. So, um, (laughs) I had that in common with Adam, so it was it was interesting for me to watch a documentary, being like, "Is this me? Am I him?" It's kind of funny, and I talked with my business partner about it, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, maybe be him a little bit, <laughs> you know, because um, WeWork was able to uh, achieve a valuation of forty-seven billion dollars before they were even profitable. They were hemorrhaging, I think, at one point, a hundred million dollars." Uh, a month or a week I I don't remember they were just hemorrhaging money like crazy Um, so I don't necessarily want to be that type of CEO but I definitely want to be the type of CEO that's able to take your your vision from something small we work started with one office building in Soho that Adam rented and then refurbished and from there grew to, like I said, a $47 billion evaluation. Well, how did they get there? WeWork started with co-working spaces, but they had a vision to change the world. And it's so funny, the 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 documentary um, points out so many times that, well, aren't you guys just a real estate company and don't you sell real estate? And they were adamant. Adam was so adamant. We are not a real estate company. We're a company that wants to create cohesive um shared working spaces we are encouraging collaboration we're encouraging community um everybody chips in everybody participates and uh you know for a while it really worked it was a really beautiful concept and you know for me the the product that i want to create and that my business partner and i this product that we envision you know we want to bring people together that's the, the main reason that I've thought about doing this was I just want to connect people. I just want to bring people who have common interests together because when that happens, when we connect with people we have common interests, really good shit happens. Whether we find a new friend or we find a, a person that we want to date or we launch a new business. like When we connect with people that are similar to us and we have similar interests, really good things happen. If anything, we just become less lonely because we've got a new friend. So I really enjoy kind of the ethos of what WeWork was trying to create, but just bringing people together, creating the sense of community, this shared togetherness where everyone contributes something. I think that's really beautiful. What happened, I think, uh, that got out of hand is the vision grew from from work to now we're going to create this sort of co-living space together and then we're going to create a co-learning space for kids. And all of that... um, was, was just going to be really, really, really expensive. And WeWork also, again, it was, it was a good concept, but eventually the, the people that were able to have access to the space weren't really the ones who needed it. The people that had access to co-working this co-working space were people who were leaving their jobs, uh, or they were leaving their office, or or they were leaving their work from home space to come work from there, and they had the choice to do that. It was a privilege. WeWork really wasn't available for people who were living in um, low income housing, or there was a lot of people living in a small space, and you know you need to just get out and do some work. WeWork really wasn't made or created for those people. So I think it's interesting that they had this vision of changing the world, but really they got wrapped up in the business side of it. And I think that really speaks to me as a social entrepreneur, as, a, as an emerging CEO, this idea of you want to create something and you want to change the world, but you also want to make a lot of money while you're doing it. And I think that was the main reason that money piece was the main reason that I was going to start a nonprofit and not start a for profit business model was because I just didn't think as a pastor you could like make money. I thought I always had to be super poor and that meant that I had to stay humble. Well, what I'm learning is that. You know, you can do a lot of good things with money and it's about that social responsibility. So am I creating a business so I can have a $47 billion evaluation and become a billionaire like Adam Newman? No. But I have learned that you can have those types of goals. You can have the goal of creating a successful company and becoming a billionaire because you want to do good things for the world. However, What I learned through this documentary is you can have all of those intentions for as long as you want, but you can get derailed really quickly. And I think the big thing with WeWork is they received a ton of money early on. They got a $4 billion investment um, two to three years after They uh, had really started to gain momentum. And that investment, not spent properly, led them to stretch themselves with credit. Um, They were uh, overextended with debt. They were spending way too much money. Um, As I was saying, their overhead was uh, just way out of control. and They were spending $100 million um, in an extremely short amount of time, uh, repeatedly. So they were always having to raise money. They were always going back to raising money. And I think, um, you know, part of why I stopped planning a church is, uh, and what really wore me out from the whole like church planning process was, was, was getting funding and developing the funds and getting the funds every single, you know, it seemed like every single month, you know, one month it seemed like I would work so hard and I would get this grant and I get this small grant. And it was like, all right, cool. Whew, I got it. And it was like, man, I got about two weeks until I have to start. Um, not even applying, but like start interviewing for more grants. So there was no time off. You're always raising funds. And if you're always raising money, I think it's hard it's a hard position for you to be in as the CEO because you're not able to then build the vision. So we work, I love the idea of how it started. It was this like co-working space for people to work together, but then it just kind of got weird with like, we were going to live together. We're going to do the shared living and the living spaces were really small. You know, the rooms were about 200 square feet at, at best. Um, you know, and, and you've got shared spaces, but you know, your room is a closet, uh, which if you're in New York, two hundred square feet for a room is pretty much average anyway. So, um, but really is that is that really a way to live? I don't know. Um, is that a way to live forever? I'm not sure. Um, I think it needs to be sustainable in that there needs to be uh pricing. Uh some some pricing that is worked on. And and, and that was really the the critique when they tr- wanted to create the We grow, which was the, the sort of collaborative cooperative learning space that they wanted to treat, uh, create for kids. They were looking to set the tuition at this for like 35 to 40,000 a year. I mean, who can afford that? It's beautiful to be able to say, we're going to create this communal learning, the shared learning. We're going to incorporate new learning styles. We want the best education. That is a beautiful vision. But then to slap a $35,000 price tag on it, uh, you're really only saying that we can accept the 1% and we only really want the 1% coming to our school, which is not changing the world. That's not in line with your vision. So, uh, it was an incredible documentary. If you are someone who is um, an entrepreneur or interested in entrepreneurship and, and raising money and starting a business, it's a great it's a great film to learn from. You're going to be inspired because they raised so much money in such a short amount of time. But it's also terrifying because they raised so much money in a short amount of time. And, and you, while I think things are different, I think um, the sort of You can save the world with this one tech company mindset has changed. You know, Uber was going to change the world. Uh, Postmates was going to change the world. All these companies were going to change the world, and they haven't. They've actually, uh, in, in some ways, made the world worse, if not better. Or at least they're the same. They're not any better than they were before. So this vision of creating a better world with your tech company, you know, I am very much aware of that as I am thinking about creating a tech company and thinking about possibly creating a virtual platform of some sense for people to connect on. So, uh, it's been a really interesting season for me, uh, these past few weeks, you know, I want to get into a better rhythm of putting out episodes, but I had a few people, uh, cancel and just life comes up and, and, and things happen. So, uh, but what I have been doing in this time, not recording is I just been learning a lot, um, and recording a bunch, um, of the, what is love series. So hopefully you've been able to check that out, um, there are only, uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, we're only going to have one more installment left. So you're going to be able to catch up hopefully if you're a member of our whiskey and rye club patron, um, t- which I hope you are because, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. So yeah, we, we work documentary. Fantastic. Um, I really recommend it and would love to know what you think about it. Uh, if you are an entrepreneur or you're entrepreneurial minded and you read it, uh, excuse me, and you watched it, send me a DM on Instagram uh, at Ryan Charles LA. I'd love to know what you think about it. And uh, I also always love talking with entrepreneurs and people who are business minded about projects and stuff that they're passionate about. So that will wrap up this episode of Whiskey and Rye. Uh, I appreciate you rolling with me is I I really just wanted to reconnect with the community as I said um I want to get into more of a rhythm of recording and after we put out our last episode I had two interviews lined up and they both got canceled um because life just happened so they were scheduled so we're gonna have those coming up soon and um as I said, I've been just hammering out um, installments of our What is Love series for our patrons. So I encourage you to check that out if you have not already and uh, and sign up for our community. Be a part of the Whiskey and Rye Club. Uh, I would love to have you officially as a member um, to be a part of this, uh, this momentum that we're building. And uh, let's not forget, we're doing a book giveaway for Justin's book, Man Enough. The first two people to send me a DM saying, hey Ryan I heard the episode I want a copy of Justin's book send me a DM at whiskey and rye club and you'll get a copy we'll correspond back and forth and I will send that to you uh, as soon as we chat so thanks so much for tuning into this episode give us a like uh, and uh, make sure you subscribe five star reviews are incredibly helpful so give us a five star review leave a comment if you're listening to this episode and you feel like sharing it on your Instagram That definitely helps too. Make sure you tag us at Whiskey and Rye Club or you can tag me as well at Ryan Charles LA. I love that. Warms my heart. Uh, And I love meeting new people from the community. So there's, uh, there's a lot of you out there who listen and I would love to meet with you. So let's chat. Let's connect. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. We've got one more installment of What is Love. We've got some new interviews coming up for you as well. So make sure you have subscribed. We'll see you back here soon. Until then, I raise my glass to you. Cheers.